So because we have a big presence, we've been actually taking advantage, to be honest, to a certain extent of the last competition that we have faced. And last competition for us, it meant that we have been able to source more off-market deals, sometimes trying to renegotiate prices and other time trying to get better acquisition condition that we couldn't really get before the crisis. So what has changed is that all of a sudden the market became much less crowded than it was before. And those that could take advantage of this, I think uh, they did, including us. That was Valeria Falcone a portfolio manager for Barings Real Estate's value-add strategies. And this is Streaming Income, a podcast from Barings. I'm your host, Greg Campion, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 14 of season two of Streaming Income. Throughout the season, we'll be bringing you in-depth conversations with experts on asset classes like EM debt, high yield, real estate, and more. Remember, if you'd like to receive our latest insights as soon as they become available, You can subscribe to the show by searching Streaming Income on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So on today's show, I spoke with Valeria Falcone. Based in Milan, Valeria is a portfolio manager for Barings Real Estate, focusing on value-add strategies. With over 20 years of industry experience, Valeria serves as Barings Real Estate's country head for Italy. She is also a founding member of RL, the Association of Real Estate Ladies, an Italian organization comprised of senior women leaders in real estate. In the conversation, we spoke about what life has been like in Milan after that region was hit so hard and so early by COVID-19. We talked about the competitive environment in European real estate markets today and how that's been impacted by COVID. And we discussed which sectors offer the most attractive value today, including the likes of office, residential, and logistics. And finally, we spoke about sustainability and how the team is thinking, particularly about the E and S in ESG, not only from an investor perspective, but also from a tenant perspective. So with that, please enjoy this conversation with Valeria Falcone. All right, Valeria Falcone, welcome to Streaming Income. Thank you very much for having me. It's great being here. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, you are the first guest that uh, I've had from Milan, so it's, uh, right. it's great to have you. It's a beautiful city. Uh, I've visited once or twice. I haven't been back in a while, but I'd love to, to get back there soon. But you know, maybe let's talk about that first, actually. I mean, living in Milan and living in Italy and and being there throughout this pandemic, I'm really interested to hear what life has been like. I guess if we rewind the clock and we think back to February, March time, really Italy and Milan specifically were hit probably the first and the hardest. And in my mind anyways, it's when the West really woke up to COVID being a massive global issue. But Tell me your perspective, what it was like, how, what it's been like the last few months for you there. Well, I mean, as you say, you know, we've been the first uh, European country that was put under severe lockdown. It was back in February. So the shock was pretty big, especially because, uh, you know, we were the only one and we didn't really believe it, honestly. So it was, the, it was a big shock in this respect. But I would say that 
we have then been put in total lockdown, meaning that we couldn't go out and, uh, and all this kind. In particular, as you say, Northern Italy has been badly affected. Just think that uh, we account for like less than 40% of the population, but we have accounted for more than 75% of the total cases and total death toll. So here it was really, really bad. And it was very, very difficult to see uh, how many people have suffered, how many people have died, especially in certain areas uh, of Northern Italy, as you mentioned, between Milan and Bergamo. Uh, so it was, it was, it was really tough and people was really scared, I have to say. And though we knew that that was coming also for other countries, you really hope that uh, it was not the case. But then you know, we find all of a sudden that we are just the first, uh, in, in, uh, in a queue of many, unfortunately. What I can say is that uh, I was quite impressed about the way in which uh, our medical system has uh, handled the situation because it was really bad in the beginning of March. I think we had. Um, you know, more than 4,000 people under intensive care um, and in, in the entire Italy, again, the majority was in northern Italy. Um, the medical system has reacted quite, quite well and I'm quite also surprised and proud, to honestly, on how the population has, uh, has responded. Uh, now that we are sort of back to normal because the lockdown has been relieved at the beginning of June, uh, I still see that the population is, is behaving really well. And I'm quite impressed by this, which makes me feel, let's say, more positive in case of a second wave. I think we're going to be much more prepared because really nobody was really prepared. And I can say that I can see the similar situation uh, all around Europe, speaking with my colleagues uh, everywhere in Europe, uh, and that we are now more uh, conscious about what has happened. And I think that the response to this will have to come from each and one of us. And then the government and, and the state can do things. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's ultimately on us. And so I think that this has, has really hit us. And we've been, you know, we're still, we're still quite scared, honestly. But I say that we're managing the situation. And the, the fact that we're scared is a positive because I think we are handling the situation in a more safe way. Well, yeah, I think the rest of the world, especially in those first couple of months, probably learned a lot from what Italy was going through. So it sounds like, so you said that that the, the lockdown was lifted in early June. Is it starting to feel more like normal life, like day to day, like are restaurants open there and, and do you think schools will open and, and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, well, uh, uh, restaurants open, uh, start opening cinemas and, and everything always under uh, rules of distancing. We have started traveling around Italy as well already, taking planes and so forth. Uh, school are not open yet, but just because uh, Italy has got a quite long summer holiday, so school will reopen in September. Um, but, you know, life is, is back to a new normal. Uh, so, of course, you know, you go to restaurant, you need to book. There's less seats available, uh, more open air and less, let's say, restaurant. Of course, you know, as I say, people is, is quite scared. So, you know, consumption are definitely not back. Life is not as it used to be. But we are sort of uh, little by little adapting to, to this new normality. And also, we are opening up also the borders now between countries in Europe. This makes us feel a little bit more relief, I have to say. Well, that's that's good to hear. I, I think you're further ahead of us than than we are here in the States, especially in states like North Carolina, where I am, where we have been social distancing and in lockdown mode essentially for, for three months. And in the States, it's really interesting because it's it's almost like state by state. It differs pretty dramatically and region by region. You know, we here in North Carolina were not hit very hard in March, April, May. 
looked like the social distancing measures were working really well. But now that things are opening up, the numbers are really rising dramatically. But of course, you run into all sorts of issues that you know people are ready to get out, but unfortunately, the numbers are are not looking great. So it's good to hear that that things seem to be on the upswing for for you in Italy and and hopefully across Europe as well. Obviously, we're we're here to talk about European real estate markets uh, today, and obviously, that's they are really impacted by what's going on with COVID. But maybe before we get into that and some of the specifics there. Can you just give me a sense for the investable universe that we're talking about here? So the countries or cities and, and sectors maybe that your team uh, looks to invest in any in normal times? Uh, well, we invest in the major European cities. That's what we normally say. Um, that's cities that pre- represent good uh, structural drivers and that has sufficient scale and stability and as a matter of fact, we have 11 offices uh, across seven countries here in Europe. And the team uh, expertise spans from uh, investment to opposition to asset management, uh, research, portfolio management. Uh, we actually have uh, roughly 90 people here in Europe, uh, the 22 investment professionals, 31 asset managers. So it's, it's a pretty comprehensive team. Um, so we, we tend to invest where we have our people on the ground, this I would say is the first thing to say. In terms of risk profile, we span from core to value add to opportunistics. And in terms of sectors, uh, we have been investing mainly in office, logistic, and residential. That Those three asset classes represented more than 80% of, all, uh, of our existing portfolio. Uh, we have been traditionally focusing on creating value uh, on a long-term basis for our investors. And this means that we are very proactive in terms of asset management. I think this is uh, something that characterizes us uh, quite well. You know, in a way, you know, I would say that we are very hands-on when it comes to managing investments. Okay, well, I guess, I guess you and the team will have a, a great understanding of some of the trends that are happening city by city with with the footprint that you've got and the local presence that you've got. So I'm curious what changes you've seen to the investment landscape since the pandemic began. So I'm curious, are you seeing less competition, uh, obviously less traveling, uh, some of that kind of stuff. But but what's what's changed most dramatically from an investment standpoint these last few months? For sure was the volume of transaction and the volume of uh, of leasing, for example, activity that went very close to, to zero, although, you know, countries went into lockdown in different phases. So, for example, for, for the first quarter, we did not have much uh, effect in some of the countries. Uh, now, as you as you say, you know, uh, the first thing that really happened was that, uh, you know, at the beginning, everybody was very concerned about assessing their portfolios so all the manager were um, assessing the portfolio and the resilience of their portfolio towards this uh, crisis and pandemic. We did the same, of course. Uh, but soon after, you know, you started having a sort of polarization between people that were continually looking for investment and people that stopped. Uh, very simply, you know, those that are have an allocator model, you know, investing from London, you know, Europe, uh, simply could not travel, could not really visit assets. So because we have a big presence and a big footprint in seven countries, this has allowed us to continue to look for uh, deals and uh, 
We've been actually taking advantage, to be honest, to a certain extent of the last competition that we have faced. And last competition for us, it meant that uh, we have been able to source more off-market deals, uh, sometimes trying to renegotiate prices and other time trying to get better acquisition condition that we couldn't really get before the crisis. So what has changed is that all of a sudden the market became much less crowded than it was before. And those that could take advantage of this, I think uh, they did it, including us. I would also add that another big change is that uh, we have noticed immediately it was that all of a sudden banks disappeared. Uh, so financing deals, especially value-add deals, was very, very difficult uh, in, in March and in April and May. Now it's opening up a little bit, which again is creating another set of uh, opportunities and uh, to the point that of course you know, banks are not there. And so you know, some of the deals could not be closed and only uh, banks were available only for certain type of deals, a certain type of investor and for sure at a higher price. So this is also, is also something that has happened immediately in the market. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that competitive dynamic is really interesting. I, I guess I hadn't thought about that, but it makes a lot of sense that if you're a large international investor in real estate, but you don't have a presence necessarily on the ground in every country, this has been, I would guess, a particularly challenging environment. I mean, how logistically have your teams been able to look at new investment opportunities? I mean, have they been able to physically go in and, and look at properties and that sort of thing? Well, you know, likewise, uh, in in US, there's a difference between states. You know, here, of course, states have behaved dif- differently. So, for example, you know, Sweden did never close uh, uh, anything really. So, uh, we actually have it actually happened that we we closed a deal in in Stockholm uh, in this uh, point in time. And of course, you know, the team was able to visit. The team was able to look at the property. You know, meet with the, the seller, uh, which was a private uh, investor that was in need of cash. Um, and uh, and we we I could visit the properties on a virtual tour with my colleagues down in Stockholm and have constant, let's say, update uh, with them uh, on deals. And this is, of course, has created more confidence uh, also for fund management to uh, invest into those deals. So this is an example, but in every country, really, all the team was very active. We, we, we were actually working more now than we used to do before because we have more deals to uh, analyze and look at. Uh, and the team is uh, has been operating. You know, everybody had anywhere between I would say forty five and sixty days of complete lockdown. Then things start to ease, and then as things started to ease, we could actually uh, have our team visiting properties and our team, uh, you know, meeting sellers and so forth. Of course, always with distancing and so forth. Uh, but we've been uh, taking advantage of the situation that was changing every day immediately compared to other competitors that was, uh, we could not have the same reliance on sometimes operating partner that they have around uh, around Europe. Uh, so you know, we felt very confident in going ahead because we had our people there. Yeah, on the uh, I guess on the asset management side, your colleagues, James Salmon and others, have just written a, a piece that details some of the plans that they put into uh, action to manage some of the tenant relationships and and on the debt side, some of the borrower relationships as well, obviously, as as a lot of the tenants and borrowers have gone through, you know, periods of stress. So that's been kind of eye-opening for me to to get a window into how some of that has has worked. So we've talked a little bit about how the landscape has changed, but as you start to think about, I guess both preserving value and thinking about, you know, where there are opportunities to to create long-term value, what's jumping out at you today? 
it's a very good question and, and there's, a, there's a probably different type of answer I could give. But uh, let's say that, you know, starting from what we've seen today, so there's certain, I would say, short-term um, benefit and short-term opportunity and some more long-term opportunities. Uh, in terms of the last competition, we've been uh, discussing this already, but I think that this last competition will continue in, in, uh, in the future very simply because before COVID, what happened is that especially for, for example, value-add deals, you see a lot of core investor bidding uh, on value-add deals, bringing the price higher. Uh, so I think that that will not be the case for a while. And so uh, this will reflect for sure in pricing of value-add deals. This, this is what I expect at least and what I'm seeing uh, as of today. It's going to be a sh- probably something that in, in the short to medium term, but still is, is something that I believe will continue. And then in the more longer term, there's going to be opportunity coming from the fact that uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, private owners in, in Europe, for example, in Germany, and uh, there's a, is very, a very wide private uh, ownership. And I think we, we can see more and more opportunity come out of, uh, out of there because, you know, private owners uh, will be in certain cases in need of cash to put back to their primary business. Uh, and this, of course, could create opportunities. So also sale on this back could be an uh, opportunity that we're seeing more and more in the market. Uh, and also the fact that the banks are not lending money so easily for value add proposition specifically uh, will create more opportunities in the full funding part of, of the business, meaning that developer will be much more in need of the capital to uh, finalize their development. And this will, again, could create a very, a very good opportunity, I think, for us. Uh, now, talking always about uh, long-term opportunities, I think that uh, other long-term opportunities are uh, going to be uh, created by the fact that certain uh, mega trends that were already in place before COVID are actually accelerating. And, you know, so you know, technology for sure, but also uh, the same demographic will change, will have different pattern, but it will uh, accelerate. E-commerce, for example, is going to accelerate. So all these trends are going to, let's say, create opportunities in the value-added spectrum. And also there's going to be a real opportunity these days because it is clear today that uh, the product we have and the real estate is actually the box in which we guessed people in which we uh, that are occupied by people and used by people you know that all these instruments that we are creating are probably not appropriate and they're not sustainable anymore so i think that you know there's there's going to be uh, big changes because there's a huge trend in change in the demand needs demand is in need of more high quality and this is creating very very big opportunities i think and so those will be able to understand uh, the needs of the demand going forward. That again was a trend that was already happening before the crisis, and now it's just simply accelerated and, you know, in a way amplified by the by the crisis that we have lived. Uh, I think that that uh, you know those people will be able to understand will be the winner in the next phase of the of the cycle. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of a lot of things changing long term and and short term. I'm curious: is there any way to quantify and maybe the answer is no, but is there any way to quantify the attractiveness of the market right now? And again, I know it differs by city, by sector, et cetera, but can you give our listeners some idea of what type of yields are on offer and how that might differ versus what was available, let's say, three or four months ago? Well, it's, uh, it's not easy to say. What we can say is that there's going to be winners and losers here. Okay? This is a very, very unfair crisis. Uh, it's not a crisis which every, everything will lose, uh, but, uh, but you know, there's going to be winners and losers. 
for sure, two winners are going to be logistic, for sure. So uh, this, I don't think, will be dependent very much on the geographical position, but more, you know, on the, sim- on the specific location of the asset, for sure. Logistics will be benefiting of the growth of e-commerce and will be benefiting on the growth of the inventory because supply chain has to change. Again, this is, this is something that is, is clearly coming out from this pandemic. And also residential, I think, will be the, the biggest beneficiary because uh, it is clear that the product that is available today in the market, in the majority of the cases, is not what people want. So again, there's, there's a huge opportunity in creating the right product for people, which is appreciating much more the, I would say, the scarcity of uh, the space it's appreciating much more the fact that, you know, uh, it is important to uh, live in an environment in which you feel good and it, to live in an environment of high quality at the end of the day and more sustainable. So do you see a big opportunity coming down the line in terms of repositioning assets, whether you're talking about office or residential or other sectors? Yeah, office as well as another one, so residential for sure. Rethinking the, let's say, the offer and the, and the product you're doing, I think, will offer a good opportunity. In the office, you know, in, in the office, we will see a, um, quite a strong hit in the demand. This is for sure, uh, because the remote working, of course, will be adopted by much, much larger part of the, of the population. It will be partially counterbalanced by the fact that uh, we're going to be, we will need more space for each person. You know, in, in Europe, in certain markets, you go down to seven square meters per person, which hopefully is a little bit tight at this point in time. Nevertheless, we're going to see uh, a decrease in the demand. Uh, but this decrease in the demand that we think could range anywhere between 15 and 20 percent will probably will be benefiting from the fact that uh, the demand again will be polarized. So uh, all those assets that are not positioned in the right place that do not have high quality standard will simply not be uh, interesting for tenants. And so all the demand will shift even more on grade A building, on building that are uh, offering higher opportunities for the tenants. So the fact, the fact that the supply in the office sector for grade A office is still quite tight, will still offer opportunities for office. So we're still positive on offices in this respect and with this angle specifically. So thinking about tenants, are you doing anything differently today as you uh, look to lease up some of these properties, whether you're talking about, well, let's take office for instance. So if you're if you have a an office property and you're looking for tenants to to lease, will you do anything different today in terms of assessing the strength of those tenants' own business models than you would have done, let's say, three or six months ago? Well, for sure, this uh, you know all of a sudden real estate, uh, which uh, traditionally had a stable cash flow, realized that the, the Cash flow sometimes is not that stable, uh, which was a bit of a, of a shock again. And of course, you know, it's going to be more attention going forward on the credits and the merit of the business that the tenant is involved in. And this is something that, you know, we tend to do in any, we tend to do regardless to this crisis. But of course, it will become even more important in the future, especially when we produce assets to sell to core investors. We have to be careful on the, on the type of tenant that we will put in the buildings. Uh, but on, on another side, you know, what I think is that, you know, we have to be very aware of the fact that we have to uh, build assets that will have a sustainable rent. Okay. So more than anything and more than ever, it is important to assess the level of rent that we can uh, offer in a specific building. Uh, 
because uh, you can, to a certain point, assess which type of cannon you have in, but you cannot avoid that uh, next crisis will maybe hit that specific sector. Uh, so the best thing to for an investor, I think, is to look on the long-term resilience of the investment. So you need to be in a place where demand is high, regardless of the specific tenants you have, and you need to have a sustainable rent. So always pushing on rental growth, I think, uh, is, is not correct, and we'll have to be much more careful. Although we, we traditionally been quite conservative in this respect, but we'll have to be even more careful in the future. Hearing you say the word sustainable, albeit in a different context, makes me think about sustainability and ESG, which is part of almost every conversation we're having across every asset class today. How are you and the team thinking about ESG today? I'm curious if there's any impact one way or the other from from the crisis as well, but just generally how are you thinking about ESG and sustainability in some of these uh, investments? Well, I think that in real estate specifically, when we talk about ESG, we were very focused on the E and, and, and not so much on the S and the G. I mean, environmental uh, issues has been something that is, uh, let's say, very trendy. People think about energy saving buildings and so forth, which is, of course, very important to a certain extent. It's given for granted as of today. Uh, you know, and like uh, many other investors, we always produce assets that have got a specific angle in terms of environmental issues. Uh, but also the fact that we need to have uh, buildings that are sustainable for a, from a social point of view is very important. So including di- diversity, for example, in our project is, is super important. Uh, thinking about the fact that there's a higher number of population that has got different background and, and that need to use the building differently, it's very important and not that easy to realize. So I think that going forward is going to be very important to focus more on the governance and and on the social aspect of the real estate we realize uh, we, that we produce because it's 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 so important to have uh, attention to the tenant. So again, you know, the tenant is becoming key. And again, this is something that was already happened. People hear me talking, they, they hear me talking about this uh, from quite a long time. But I, again, I think that this is accelerating. So putting the tenant in the center means that that is how, the way in which we look at, at sustainability. Sustainability has to be there, not as a general sentence or to say that we produce sustainable assets because the tenant that are going to occupy that building will have to feel that they are in an environment of high quality and that they are respected as uh, as tenant and user of the building. Wow, yeah, that's really fascinating perspective, uh, especially the social um, angle. Well, we've covered a good amount in a short amount of time, Valeria. Let's think about what the next couple of years uh, look like as we as we kind of finish up here. So, if you are, let's say, an institutional investor putting capital to work in European real estate markets. What are some of the things that you should be thinking about? Is there any advice that you'd want to leave listeners with today as they sort of think about navigating these next couple of years? Well, I think that it's, uh, it's very important to uh, have a long-term view uh, in general. You know, regardless to the strategy you are applying for or value add, you need to have a long-term view, understanding what is happening on the long-term trends. And this is why you, you know, I would advise investors to have very stable platforms, so platforms that are there will still be there, uh, and that are willing to create, uh, you know, value in each and one market in which they in which they are. So this is, I think, uh, it's an advice that will be valid to preserve the capital, which again, you know, needs to be deployed uh, in a more long-term view. 
And then, you know, I would say that uh, this crisis has proven it. I've always been a great believer of it, uh, that having people on the ground is it's very important. So validating teams that have got people on the ground, that have got capacity to act in-house, I think, uh, you know, is proving to be very important, you know, because we are really reacting immediately. And we, and as I say, you know, we, we are hands-on. And I think that this has proven to be very, very important. So I would say to investors, make sure that you invest with people that are active, that are present in the market, because this is very important as well. And then, you know, let's end to what we, we, we discussed before. You know, in general, you know, say that the biggest trend is definitely sustainability. In the prospect that I, I spoke about before, to the point that we need to think sustainable. We don't only need to say that we do sustainable uh, investment, but we need to think sustainable. So uh, I would advise them to invest with managers that have got this type of mentality because going forward, it will be more and more important. Yeah, that's a great way to wrap it up. So thinking long-term and thinking local and thinking sustainable, that sort of makes a lot of sense to me. Well, Valeria, thank you for this window into your life and into what you and the team are doing every day. I continue to find it fascinating whenever I see uh, some of these press releases rolling out of, of new transactions that the team is doing in, in all the different countries across Europe that you mentioned. Um, so I think it's great that you've continued to be active. And, and I think you and the team have been incredibly versatile in terms of how you handled this environment and adapted to it. So that's been really cool to, to see from my standpoint. So thank you so much. I appreciate you joining from Milan and I hope we uh, get to talk again soon. Thank you, Greg, and thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to episode 14 of season two of Streaming Income. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you are the first to hear about our latest episodes. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.